This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Welcome to this mini episode of Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Emmy Neatfeld, a writer, software engineer, and author of Acceptance, a Memoir. And here we are reading a letter from a listener. I think that uh, I should keep us on the path, although I kind of just want to keep talking um, about our moms and... and um, I'll save that for another show. We'll have another, sh- well, I'll have a show on someday where I invite back everyone who's had a really complicated relationship with their mother. And we're going to have like a sudden death round of just what's the one worst thing your mother has ever said to you. Um, and we're just going to go bracket by bracket and, and the winner will get something. Maybe, maybe uh, the book, All That the Rain Promises. That will be the, the prize. I like that you called it a sudden death round. I'm like, was that a Freudian slip? Like, no, sudden isn't death? sudden death like how they solve how they solve how they like end uh, sports games that have gone into overtime for too long? Oh, I thought you were talking about moms here. That's okay oh, like too. Everyone whose moms had suddenly died. No, no, no. I meant it like <laughs> in the like tiebreaker sense of like we're not going to play another round of this game. It's just next point wins. I, that sounds like a good mantra for a lot of problems that are coming up in life. We're not going to play another round of this game. It's just going to yeah. be this next point wins. Or we could we could just go full strangers on a train and we could all agree to murder each other's moms um, since we would then save ourselves an alibi. But unfortunately, having said it on the air, I've now ruined it. So um, none of us will commit murder instead. Instead, we'll give advice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is a good, again, <laughs> once again, I have found myself going over the railing. I'm going to come back. Uh, we don't threaten murder here uh, on the show um, because that's not a good solution to your problems. So I will read uh, our next letter. <laughs> Instead, subject is foreign policy causing domestic problems. I've been dating a guy for almost a year. Truly, mostly everything is great. We're really compatible, share many of the same values and life goals. He's kind and funny and cares about me. But lately, I've been really preoccupied with things that he said about a particular foreign policy issue. This issue is emotionally fraught and deeply connected to his identity, which I don't share. I know this means it's impossible for me to understand his perspective and that maybe I shouldn't have an opinion on this issue at all. However, this topic has come up a few times in passing and his comments have been offhandedly violent and cruel, and his tone has been brusque and defensive. He's also said that people outside his identity who focus on this issue are prejudiced against his identity, which makes me even warier about bringing it up. I'm not interested in debating, but I'm really uncomfortable dating someone who holds these views. I want to ask him about it in a calm, respectful, as neutral as possible way to figure out what I can live with. I'm not going to ask if I know if it's okay to break up with someone because of their foreign policy views, because I know I can break up with someone for any reason. But I don't know how to bring this up in a way that doesn't feel like I'm quizzing him or like I'm asking a bunch of gotcha questions designed to make him change his mind. I just want to know if his fundamental views about how people should be treated align with mine. How should I talk about this? This one drove me nuts because I really wanted the letter writer to just say what it was. I was wondering if you edited it to to take out the specific porn policy issue. I would never do that. I love details. I'm so nosy. I would never do that to you. Oh, man, this one was also a really a really tricky one. I was really impressed by the amount of perspective that the letter writer has and just self-awareness. Mm. Um and kind of to to take apart that it's both it's both this 
bigger like geopolitical issue. And it's the way that her partner has talked about it. Yeah, I felt like the thing, I mean, obviously, number one, my my first thing that I was curious about was like, what the hell is the policy? And and like, tell us. Um, and then the second was, I am not so sure that it's a question that the letter writer needs. Like, it doesn't sound like your boyfriend's been unclear. Uh, and it's not like he's only said it once. So what I feel like is actually going on is he's been super clear and consistent about what his belief here is. I really wish it weren't the case. I kind of want to try to find a way to give him an out where he can backpedal or soft pedal some of this because I want to stress how important it is to me. But if I'm not really careful and diplomatic, he won't realize I'm offering him an out and he won't do it. And then I have to break up with him because he's doubled down too many times. That was my read on this letter was that on some level, she's really hoping that she can like signal to him, please back off 50% so that I can like with plausible deniability lie to myself a little bit. And I like, I laugh because like I find that very like understandable, relatable. If you're like 95% of the time we have the same values, but this 5% is about a really big deal. And I'm really sad that it's going to be the like the straw that breaks the back. Um, I get that. But like, I actually don't think it's a question of like, hey, those five times you've said something awful, did you really mean it? Like, I think what you need to say to your boyfriend is, I didn't want to say this because everything else has been great, but I'm just so upset and turned off by your views on this subject that I don't want to date you anymore. Like, mm. that's, I think, what you need to say. And you don't want to, and I get it, but I, I don't think I don't think he's been unclear. Right? Like, does that, do you think, the question is called for. Like, I'm happy to, you know, uh, rethink this. I also had the sense that the letter writer knows, she already knows what she needs to know. Mm-hmm. And that it, you know, it seems really valiant to to try to have this conversation in a calm way, which we're often told we should do with people who have different beliefs than, than we have. And also, to me, I really looked at the part where she said that his comments have been offhandedly violent and cruel and his tone has been brusque and defensive. And I was like, terrible. Yeah. And I was like, I think that the real things that the letter writer needs to know, it's not really a question that she could ask. Like there is no question. It's kind of like that adage about like, don't date someone who is mean to servers at a restaurant. Right. Where that is giving you more information than their, like than their views that they state will. But that's also, it's such a hard, it's such a hard position to be in when you've been dating for almost a year and so many things are going right. So I really like your suggestion of like being honest about like, hey, I'm I'm angry about this. And like, here's what I see happening that we're not talking about, right? And if the boyfriend says like, you know, calls the letter writer prejudiced, like, and kind of shuts down the conversation on those grounds, I feel like in a way that's an answer, right? Yeah, I mean, I I really felt like that was also part of it. Like the letter writer was also worried, like if I just say, I think you're wrong and I can't keep dating you, he's going to say something like, well, you're just prejudiced against my identity. And maybe part of that also is like the fear of like, if he calls me prejudiced, I'll feel like I'm a bad person. And I, I would just say letter writer, I don't think he's right. I mean, again, I don't have the full details here, but you said that he said like violently cruel things. And I can see in the first paragraph, letter writer, you're kind of bending over backwards. Like, 
I know that because I don't share his identity, it's impossible to understand his perspective, and I maybe shouldn't have an opinion on this issue at all. I'm I'm struggling to think of an issue where that would actually be the case. I don't think this sentence is true. I think this sentence is being formed by some sort of like guilt or fear. And I think that I would encourage you to reframe it, you know, in the following ways. It's impossible for you to have his identity, sure. And it's probably impossible for you to like perfectly understand his life experience in whatever identity category this is. But it's not impossible for you to understand his perspective. Like that's that would be an incredibly bleak outlook upon like the possibility of human relationships if you just said across the board, if you don't share somebody's identity, you'll never, no matter how hard you try, understand their perspective. Like I don't think that's true at all. I think that's your fear because of how much he snapped at you. You know, so like certainly don't explain his identity to him. Don't presume that you share it. But to say, I'm not allowed to have an opinion on this foreign policy issue that clearly like affects every resident of this nation and other nations who are also affected by this whatever kind of foreign policy it is, you need to have an opinion on it. it. It affects, you know, you and the world that you live in. It doesn't mean you share his identity. It doesn't mean you have the same stakes involved. It doesn't mean you can speak for him. But my God, Don't forfeit your right to have an opinion. Don't forfeit your right to think for yourself just because he's tried to frame this as I am the only type of person who's allowed to think about this. That's wrong. He's wrong to do that, just as he is wrong to be violent and cruel and flippant. It seems like there's a real breakdown of communication here and that the letter writer is trying to to solve it herself, right? And thinking like, oh, if I just have like the right techniques, like I can fix the fact that like my partner isn't willing to engage with me on this right? or is perfectly willing to engage with me isn't willing for me to engage is trying to prohibit my engagement and is saying that unless i share this identity category i must never speak and i must smile upon his violent comments and i just got to say letter writer there's not an identity category in the world that makes violent cruelty and flippancy like cool and fun in a boyfriend So I just really want to encourage you to do a 180 here. I think it sounds like he's been laying groundwork to really make make it clear that he doesn't believe you have a right to disagree with him. And I think you should strenuously disagree with that. I think this is a deal breaker. I think if he said these things on your first date, you probably wouldn't have gone on a second. And I would encourage you to think of it in those terms. Like if you two were sitting down to your very first dinner And he said in one go all the things that you've heard him say on this subject that have been violent, cruel, offhand, brusque, and defensive. You know, maybe you wouldn't have the wherewithal to like stand up and say I'm leaving, but I'm willing to bet you would like cut the date a little short and you probably wouldn't call him back and say let's go out again. Wow. What a good way to think (laughs) about it. That's a brilliant, brilliant way to think about it. I, I think sometimes when we've known someone for a while, we like drop our guard around some flags that we would actually be more vigilant about in a stranger. And again, some of that's unavoidable. Like, of course, you love the people that you love more than you love someone you've never met. But when it comes to things that really like lay like a stone in your gut, I think it can be useful to think, how would I handle this if somebody I wasn't already really invested in said this and let that be your guide at least some of the time? I think it's important to point out that like, 
in this letter, like, I saw the letter writer really bending over backwards to show that she is, like, accommodating and, like, open to people with different backgrounds, different perspectives, different opinions. And at the end of the day, it it didn't feel to me like this letter was, like, actually about the foreign policy issue. The perspective was part of it, but that mm. there were things that she was learning about her boyfriend, about, his, you know, his underlying values that that were those deal breakers. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that came up for me was like, if you brought this up so gently and like preemptively defused any possible defensive reaction and your partner said, oh, you know what? That's a really good point. I renounce all those other things I said. Would you buy that letter writer? Would you really feel like, oh, good, our values do align? He was just vocally sneezing all those other times. Like, I think there's just this hope here that like, if I can give him enough hints and clues, he will say, oh, I didn't really mean that. I meant something nice instead. And I just feel like, I think you know that would be bullshit. And again, I really get it. When someone's 95% great and then something unexpected pops up, it can be a real mindfuck. And it can really feel like, well, this doesn't match up with the you I know the rest of the time. But I think he's been extremely clear um, on multiple occasions. And so I think the thing to do is just to say, you've brought this up a couple of times or you've mentioned this a couple of times. Uh, You know, I've been nervous to say anything because you made it pretty clear that you didn't welcome anyone else's thoughts on the subject. But I think that's really cruel. And it's a big enough deal to me that um, I I think this is the end of the road for us. I think that's what you should say. I don't think you should try to, you know, you say you don't want to argue about it. So the only other option would be trying to signal to him that he needs to change what he said. And I don't think that you should do that because I think he said it because he meant it. Mm-hmm. And so I think you should break up. And and that might mean, letter writer, that he'll be mad at you. And it might even mean that he will, after you two have broken up, say to his friends or a future date, you know, I had a girlfriend who didn't respect my identity. And that might feel awful to you. You might not like how that feels, but I would really not let fear of that outcome keep you in this relationship Um, with somebody who you know doesn't share your values any longer. What is that old cliche? If someone shows you who you are, believe them? Yeah, right. I think that really (laughs) applies here. Like, he's he's not been unclear. His fundamental views feel very, like, obvious. And I really get that that can feel jarring after, like, a mostly great year. But that you just got to live in reality. And I say that as somebody who, like, you know, this week I like got a scary letter from the IRS and I was like, oh yeah, that's because I've been avoiding thinking about this. And I was like, all right, I'll open it and I'll like go to my tax appointment and my reward from the universe will be that the situation is better than I think it is. And it totally wasn't. It was worse than I thought. It was like way worse. (laughs) But it was also genuinely like, well, I don't like this at all, but I totally see how I got here through my actions and choices. And Today's like the first day I get to start living in reality about this. And like, Mm. that can sound Pollyanna-ish and it's not fun, but it's like, I know what's happening around me. I'm not trying to live in a fantasy land about it anymore. And like today is the the day that it stops getting worse. And I really do often feel like that's useful and can be a gift when we're open to it. Um, I don't have to live in a painful fantasy anymore. Wow. I mean, I say that, but like, ask me again in a week and I'll be like, I hate this. Put me back in my fantasy world. I am the world's most special little birthday boy, and I should never have to save a receipt. But you say it so eloquently, which is why you're the one giving advice. And yet the IRS doesn't respond to that by saying, you are so eloquent and special, and we love you, and here's just like a sweet deal, which I think they should. So can you please be in charge of the IRS starting right now? 
Well, maybe if you communicate the things in completely the right way in your letter, they'll change for you. I love that. All right. You know what? I'm going to say, like, I know you guys have been pretty clear in the past about what you expect from me, but I just want to make sure if you really meant it. (laughs) Because I don't know if you knew this, but I'm like a really special little guy. (laughs) I'm absolutely not going to do this. But this has absolutely made my day um, to envision this. And, you know, that's just one of those things where, like, I don't think that particular character trait of mine is ever going to fully go away. You know, avoidance is an old pattern Mm -hmm. of mine that I often find, like, helpful and protective. But I do hope that um, I become less and less attached to it uh, in time. And at least right now, all I can do is deal with reality. And I hate to be like, it's sort of like a good thing that I lost my family. But it really Mm -hmm. does feel like I had like a day where like something I thought would never happen happened to me. And one thing that that's given me is I I am less attached to, I can't believe something bad is happening. And that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that I live in constant pessimism. It just means that like when bad or frustrating things happen or things don't go my way, I just think like, yeah, that happens sometimes. What can I do? Mm-hmm. So lose your whole family and then you'll feel a lot better about the IRS. That's my recommendation. <laughs> oh, I think that's a good note to end th- on, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so too. It's a nice, positive, like happy, happy note to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll end on something slightly nicer, which is... um. What's something pleasantly autumnal you have going on in your life right now? Ooh, I love that question very much. I just broke out my fuzzy slippers. Yes. So my feet are wrapped in in fuzzy right now. What about you? That's so important. Well, weirdly, like we just had like a great run of like some rainstorms and really beautiful like spooky, uh, you know, a wrinkle in time style October weather. And the next two days, it's going to be in the high 70s. So... I hate that and I'm just going to resent it and um, avoid it. But once that's gone and we're back in fall, I, you know, I am just Mr. Autumn Man, all of it. You name it. I love it. It's so dumb. But like anything that is remotely fall themed, like in terms of music or movies, uh, I will put pumpkin and stuff, get my little cozy outfits. Like this is the time of year when I really shine. Like the sun is still Mm -hmm. setting after 6 p.m. So I still feel like there's enough sunlight for me to keep going. But, like, it's no longer so hot out that I just have to, like, lie in front of the air conditioner and wait. Um, These are the months of the year that really belong to me. I believe in you. Maybe this weekend you can stay inside and run the air conditioner. I I mean, it's it's just going to be Thursday, Friday. So, like, I'll just, like, work. I won't worry about it. And then it's going to be right back to, like, you know, sleepy hollow weather. I'm ready for it. I did, by the way, recently reread Sleepy Hollow. And that story stands up. And yet everything else he wrote truly sucks. (laughs) Um, or just like doesn't hold up at all. So Save Yourself the Trouble, Rip Van Winkle, and uh, Sleepy Hollow are the only stories of Washington Irving's worth remembering. Everything else has been rightly forgotten. You're the bard of autumnal literature. (laughs) I I am the gatekeeper of Washington Irving. I am gatekeeping him, and I, I, I won't apologize for it. Thank you for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations with the guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. 
If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our big mood, little mood listener question form, or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. <laughs>